Welcome, church. How is everybody doing today? Man, who's happy to be here this morning? Man, I am happy to be here as well. So grateful. Uh, who's thankful for Pastor Cody? I, I absolutely love this man. Um, many of you know I've known him for two decades almost. And uh, he truly is a gift to our community here at CLA and everything that he deposits in his heart for the city, for ministry, for, uh, for, for the character of Christ. Uh, Cody, thank you for continuing to persevere. Uh, I honor you today for all of your work and, and effort and investment and sacrifice. Uh, he, he is uh, he's growing in so many ways, and I think his, his platform, his influence, we've just seen the beginning of it. I actually believe that, and many, many years of influence within local church, I believe, are ahead for him, so thank you. Thank you for choosing CLA and running with me and the team and this church, and we love you. We love you so much. Uh, a couple of other shout-outs shout outs that I need to do this morning because it's a special day. Are you with me? My Nana, your Nana, is, it's her birthday today, everybody. And for, Nana, just give a nice little wave here from the back corner. Um, 98 years old today, 98, yeah. Um, so much I could say about you and your legacy uh, never at once have I felt in my 40 years of life that I wasn't covered in prayer. Um, that is generational in my family. And I am so grateful for you and the gift that you are to, to my family, extended and beyond into CLA. Everyone who meets you is, is impacted by you and by your journey with Jesus. And uh, I honor you today as well. Thank you for being who you are and helping to model longevity and perseverance, uh, not just physically, but also uh, spiritually. Um, whenever I feel like losing uh, my way because of emotion or challenge or tough seasons, I think about you, and uh, you keep me on track, whether you, you realize that or not. I am grateful for you and of course, dad and the generation of my family on both sides. It is a gift. Isn't it a gift to have that in your life? Um, and we have a special guest here as well, a uh, pastor from, from CLA from many seasons ago, uh, Pastor Steve Dove. Where are you? There he is. Hi. I haven't met you personally, but uh, welcome back to CLA. Uh, thank you for being here. Um, I'd love to connect after the service. I don't know when your time was here, but I am thankful for the years that you invested, and we are moving uh, forward as a church, and uh, it's leaders like you that have helped to build uh, these, these great days that are in front of us here at CLA. Very, very thankful for that. If you're new with us today, my name is Tim. My wife is Devin. She's over here. We have five beautiful children, and uh, we love this church, and we love... Um, the, the chaos and the messiness 
and the uh, unpredictability of this time of our lives. It is some days in the week, I would say, uh, I'm sure we all feel that, where there's this tension of what does tomorrow look like? What does the next day look like? What does this next season look like? It's, uh, I feel like the bigger your family gets, the more, the more weight there is on uh, carrying that load of investment and making sure that we are moving in the right direction. And it's seasons like this where I'm more grateful for CLA than, than, than I have in, in the past because I recognize how important it is to do life together. And that's what this message today is all about. This is part five of our series, Living the Gospel. And uh, I thank all of you for your encouraging words from last week and uh, your encouragement for Pastor Michael as well as Cody a few weeks ago. This has been a lot of fun these last three, four weeks. Who's enjoyed the series so far? Yeah. If you hadn't, haven't had a chance to listen, go back, have a, have a look. There is some, some good thought that has been presented by our team over these weeks together. But if you're new, as I said, welcome to CLA. Uh, my heart is that you would find family here. If you're looking for a faith community, this, this is a place that's on a trajectory towards uh, maybe, just maybe, figuring out local church uh, in some new, new ways, some new ways that will help to serve uh, the chapter of history that we're in, along with so many other great churches in our city. We all need each other. We all need to be thriving, and we all need to be growing and making a difference in Calgary. Who agrees? So whether it's Baptist, Pentecostal, Nazarene, conservative, charismatic, it doesn't matter because they're all heading in a direction, putting Jesus at the, at the center. And that's, that's the story that we need to be thinking about and focusing on is Jesus himself. And that brings me to my thoughts this morning for these few minutes that we have together. I believe that every time we open up the Bible, who loves their Bible? Some of us have still carry the physical. If you've got a physical Bible here today, just show me. Maybe 10% of you, and that's okay. I, I encourage you, pull out a Bible, read it with those pages, turn those pages. There's something so special about that tangible physical Bible that we all have, I'm sure, somewhere in our house. But this Bible tells story, and these stories, I believe, are, is, is all about personal history. Uh, what I mean by that is that everything that we read in Scripture, everything that we, that we uh, discover in Scripture really is personal because that's how God orchestrated it. We can glean and learn and, and, and discover brand new about who we are and about who God is through the pages of Scripture. They all had their unique experiences as individuals, but this path, this biblical path of characters, they walked with communal challenges, with investment that, that I believe made a difference when they took risk and they spent time on things that they had no idea what the outcome was going to look like, but through obedience with God's direction, they found a way, and there was breakthrough, and there was moments all through Scripture where we see God winning. Who's with me? Who needs God to win, in, or who needs God to help you win in your life today? Anyone? That sounds cheesy, but it's so true. There is challenge. There is emotion. There is there is disconnect and 
I would say, even through this week, just some of the anxieties that people are feeling, the depressive thoughts. Cody, thank you for, for uh, just teeing this up this morning. What you said helps uh, me share and continue that conversation of who God is in his love for all of us, no matter what state that we're in. I believe that practicing the way of Jesus together here in Calgary is the goal of all local churches, of all followers of Christ. And discipleship, where we know we need to be majoring on today, is and requires community. And the name for this is really the church, us, you and I, as we heard through worship and through some of the encouragement just a few minutes ago. Discipleship is not a solo venture. We're not to do this by ourselves. I mentioned this last week that I found myself for the first time in my life this year wanting to regress away from people. Never in my life have I experienced that. Some of you are saying, Tim, that's, that's my personality. Well, that's not mine. I thrive with people. And for the first time, I finally discovered what it was like to, to, to be so overwhelmed that you just wanted to isolate and be alone and not tell anyone what's going on. It's not okay. God did not intend for us to function in that capacity. Philip Yancey, who I'm sure many of you know, a wonderful author, when attempting to sum up the entire Bible in one single sentence, really says it like this, God getting his family back. Interesting. God started his redemption plan with one family. Real brief history, Abraham and Sarah. We know who he is, the father who helped create this narrative of generations. And then Jesus came along, he showed up and fulfilled some of those promises, the greatest promise of salvation. And then there was the commandments that according to Jesus, where we love God and love our neighbor. These two are inseparable from one another, and we agree with this principle as long as we don't get too specific sometimes with with our neighbors and who they actually are. There's a tension there. Have you felt like you've, you know your neighbors, neighbors a little bit more after this year than you ever have before? Kind of forced into that? Remember that we can't separate loving God and loving neighbor. After the resurrection, the church started with something that's very important to us as Pentecostals, some of us in this room, who believe in that beautiful moment of Pentecost when the Spirit fell on the people and it was clear from that moment on that the gospel was for all humanity, all language, all tongue, all people. New Testament letters then came along and they were written for faith communities, not individuals. And then we read in Revelation, Cody and I were talking about this last week, uh, we're thinking about doing a series on Revelations. Who's in, who's in for that? Anybody? Um, you'll maybe see me once up here, and we'll get a whole bunch of really smart people to come and help with that one. Uh, but I'm excited about it. But it, it is there for a reason. Revelations is there for a purpose. And we see that there's a wedding reception where, where, where many people discover who the bride of Christ is, and that is us, you and I. The Bible cover to cover is a story about God's redeeming this world through community and not through individuals. And we have to continue that narrative moving forward as people 
God gets his family back. That's the goal. That's his goal, to, to discover the goodness of God. That is his goal for all humanity. The apostle John pinned this, pinned this uh, summary up in 1 John chapter 4 when he said God is love. The kind of love that he coined is agape love, the sacrificial kind of love. In the Greek, that's a, the communal expression of koinonia, Agape shared together. So church is more than just a collection of individuals who attend the same weekly event. It is those participating in the communal God, forming us into a new family. The church is family. And that is a beautiful reality. And there's an invitation for all of us to be a part of it at a greater level. Family is great. How many of you know that? But it's also annoying and it's also painful, and it's dysfunctional, and we misunderstand each other, and it's hard and chaotic at times. But family is the human community with the most profound power to heal us and to hurt us, to bless and to curse, to build up and to tear down. It does all of that, and that's why it gets messy at times. But we must remember, like even through the early church that we read in the Gospels and throughout the New Testament. It was an incredible time, but as I mentioned, a time where it was an absolute mess as well. If you actually research the early church, there's conflict and segregation, there's false teaching, there's ignoring the poor and many other things that Jesus was so adamant about. It was a mess, and though it was lively and compelling at the same time, on so many levels, it did have its issues. And that, as I've said often, gives me hope today. We don't have to have it all figured out. And it can look imperfect, and it can look challenging at times, and that's okay, and it's no reason or no permission for myself or any of us to throw in the towel, ever. I believe that very, very deep within my heart. After finishing the translation, uh, the message, I'm sure many of us have read this, Eugene, Eugene Peterson, he sums up and concludes it this way, that there are no successful congregations in Scripture. Thank you, Michael, for that. There's none. There were no successful faith communities in Scripture. After going cover to cover, with this new version of the message, that was his conclusion. So given the messiness of family, maybe discipleship is better lived um, uh, as a group journey after all. It goes right along the lines of, I'm, I'm into Jesus. I'm into Jesus. But I'm not so sure about the church. Now, we've heard this for a long, long time. This is nothing new. That tension of figuring out what this means. I believe that that is not the solution, concluding that we live life with that conviction. I believe in Christ, but I'm not so sure about the community of Christ or the church itself. It's caused me so much challenge and pain. And I say not to just move past that, but... If you're in this room this morning and you are feeling the pressure of the past or even of the present where there is so much disconnect in your heart where you are wrestling through what has happened to you or your family, 
when it comes to the church or to a leader in the church, I stand up here this morning and I say I'm sorry. I'm sorry that pain has been caused. And I'm sorry that the church has hurt you. And I'm sorry that there are moments in your life where you have felt uh, that, that courage to trust and yet you were disappointed. But my plea this morning for all of us is that we would give each other another chance. That we would give one another the opportunity to, to, to dig deep into one's life again and find family and find relationship that goes beyond just surface level. Why wasn't Jesus willing to throw out the church of his time, even though there was, it was such a legitimate chaos throughout? What do you miss out on if you separate yourself from the company of messed up disciples? Here's, here's a few things that you miss out on when you separate yourself. Very briefly, you miss out on shared revelation. What do I mean by that? This goes back, I was reminded of this story in my own personal life probably almost 20 years ago. It was one of the first times that I preached publicly outside of my own faith community. I was in Prince George, British Columbia. Anybody been to Prince George before? There's a few of us. This is a very wonderful uh, town, city up in northern BC. I actually have a, a dear friend who is, heads up the, the cancer unit at the hospital there, a brilliant doctor. And I'm reminded of this moment when I was preaching at this church in the heart of Prince George, nervous as I can all remember, getting up there. If I remember correctly, it was the very first time outside of of my own community of faith that I was preaching, still in Bible school. And I remember standing up there, hours of hours of investment into this moment. And I'm up there, and I'm giving it my all, and I'm encouraging the people as best as I can, and back door comes flying open in the church. And this young lady comes in, intoxicated, and very much not, present in the moment of what was taking place at the church. And she comes walking through and very aggressively and loudly walking down the aisle. And I'm doing my best uh, to remain focused. Not sure who's, who's supposed to take care of this moment. Anybody with me? Anyone seen anything like this? Um, it's, a great, it's a great life experience for a, for a pastor, let me tell you. And she wasn't rude or crude, but I just remember her one time, she was kind of halfway down and nobody was really doing anything. And I was like, okay, I'm going to keep going. And I said something and I just remember her throwing up her hands and saying, hallelujah, holy. And then she just, big swear word. And, and I'm like, okay, that witness with our new friend. And uh, she comes down to the front row. And um, let's bring her back. And she... She sits down on the front row, and I'm thinking to myself, how's this, how's this all going to play out? As I'm continuing to communicate, I tried to, you know, do some, some nice gesture there with her and acknowledge her in the room. And I kept going, and I just remember this moment where this other lady from the church, she, kind of, she was about five or six rows behind her. 
She got out of her seat and she came down beside her and she put her arm around her and she sat with her. And I just remember her, remember her holding her tight and whispering into her ear and just everything just shifted. It, it was this moment of revelation where I was totally interrupted and I was powering through as best as I could, but this woman... She came and she took this experience and brought a moment that I'll never forget in my life. After some time, as I processed what was happening, I realized that the sermon that I had spent hours and hours preparing for was in fact secondary to the message that God wanted to reveal that morning. That moment, that experience, that was the message. That was the sermon. It was the lady from the church who was really preaching on that Sunday, not me. This is what I mean by shared revelation. Gathering together cannot just be seamlessly reproduced on a podcast or a live stream or some great video. And we love all of that. But because the sermon is preached by the community, all of you, not just the pastor. It's all of us that are living this out, preaching the gospel with our words, with our actions, with our love for Jesus. Part of receiving a sermon is receiving it while you are sitting beside maybe an elderly man in the room who's grunting every 30 seconds and clearing his throat often, shifting his weight and distracting you the whole time. Or maybe it's someone who's trying to pay attention, but there's a baby crying in the room. Or someone, when you come to receive ministry and, and the, the leader is praying for you and their breath is horrible. Hopefully that's never me. I say that just to bring a smile to your face. All of these things, all of that is the sermon. Do you hear me, church? God is revealed, not just through the carefully prepared words of a leader or a pastor, but through the mess of the family. We receive from God in the family of God. That's church. That's faith community. Secondly, something you miss out on is shared mission. There's a quote that I found. Sebastian Younger is his name. He said that U.S. soldiers returning from Afghanistan may more commonly be diagnosed with PTSD, post-traumatic stress, uh, yes, that, (laughs) by returning from war to a hyper-individualistic society than from their experience at war. I need to say that again. They commonly are diagnosed with PTSD by returning from war to a hyper-individualistic society than from the experience of war itself. The data points to the fact that while they were deplored overseas, they were a part of a tight-knit community with a shared mission. And the removal of that may be more psychologically distressing than the violence of war itself. Isn't that fascinating? David Brooks, a New York Times columnist who's writing on this similar theme, he says it like this, we are all fragile when we don't know what our purpose is. When we haven't thrown ourselves with abandon into a social role, 
when we haven't committed ourselves to certain people, when we feel like a swimmer in an ocean with no edge. If you really want people to be tough, make them idealistic for some cause. Make them tender for some other person. Make them committed to some worldview that puts today's temporary pain in the context of a larger hope. Emotional fragility seems like a psychological problem, but it has only a philosophical answer. People are really tough only after they have taken a leap of faith from, for some truth or mission or love. Once they've done that, they can withstand a lot. We live in an age when it's considered sophisticated to be disenchanted. But people who are enchanted are the real tough cookies. I love that. That's from someone who is unchurched, who is not a follower of Jesus, but he, he recognizes that something comes alive in us when you're on mission together in community, and something dies in us when we take a decidedly communal mission and try to live it alone. It's really choosing between life and death for one's future. And the last thing that you lose when you remove yourself from community is we miss out on shared harmony. I discovered this story. And if you know it, those of you who are older would understand this much more than those of us who are younger. But after 28 years of dividing a city and a country, the Berlin Wall finally came down. Do you remember what year that was? 1989. Just before the holidays. And on Christmas Day, Leonard Bernstein... He composed a, a performance of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony in Berlin, and it was televised all across the world. Televised, excuse me. All across the world. There was nothing else but television at that point in 1989. And they say that all people that watched this moment had the hair on the backs of their necks standing up while they played this symphony together as an orchestra. A spectacle. It was a triumph of unity happening right on top of the rubble of division. They, they, it's explained. Not a dry eye was watching these musicians who had been forced to live in separation for over half a generation, now harmonizing together with their instruments as they were able to come back together after decades apart. Can you imagine the moment that that country experienced and the whole world got to partake in? There's something about the collective harmony of everyone playing their part that draws out the human soul in a way that the most gifted of soloists can never accomplish. The, the harmony of an orchestra versus one. Although one is great, the orchestra is profound. It's what 1 Corinthians 13 is all, is all talking about without that sacrificial, resilient kind of love that refuses to quit, the rest of our faith does not harmonize. All our acts of justice and mercy, songs of praise that we do, morning readings, evening prayers, it's all just noise without the love expressed in the context of community. And that's what that scripture is talking about. This is the composer of our spiritual life. With love... You and I are the symphony, steadily building towards a massive crescendo. That's some music uh, terminology for some of us. Everything 
bows its knee to love expressed between brothers and sisters in this spiritual life that we all have access to. I mentioned it just briefly before, this idea of being, being all about Jesus but not the church. We tend to think of this as a modern phenomenon in the last maybe 10 years or so or more. But it's actually an ancient temptation as you do some study on this. St. Benedict, who I talked about last week, in the 5th century, he comments on various trends in the, the church of, of his day. There's a moment when he speaks to a group called uh, the Gyrovogs. It's just a, a group of followers who wandered from region to region. They sincerely desired Jesus, but they refused to commit themselves to local community. As you study this group, this is their story. They would spend two months here and three months there and five months there, but they would refuse to settle into one community. St. Benedict called them, this is harsh, slaves to their own wills and gross appetites. Now, a touch intense, in my opinion, but, I mean, that's 1,500 years ago. Everything was more intense back then. But you get the point. This description, does it sound familiar? It sounds familiar, doesn't it? Bouncing from maybe one community to the next, never able to root in a home for a long time, listening to this or that podcast, spending six months here in a church and then moving on to another church and then to another church, making a friend or two in one place, but never actually entering into a community of people that you necessarily didn't handpick for yourself. Now, let me explain that. This point, it stands today, that apart from a real, local, rooted, ordinary, frequently disappointing, often overwhelming, and in the end, familiar context, we stunt our own spiritual growth. What I just explained there was faith community in all its challenges. Without the messiness of the church, we cannot be with Jesus, become like Jesus, or do what Jesus did to our fullest extent. Now, some of you might push back on that, and that's okay. There is a wrestle right now to unpack this and to understand what this means, but at the end of the day, church, we need each other, and we need to be running together. In the words of Henry Nouwen, the church will never cease to get in the way of Jesus, but will always never cease to be the way of Jesus. Henry Nouwen. Church is a family. You don't choose your siblings. You, you choose your friends and your colleagues to some level. All your other communal, community experiences outside of family involve your choice to some degree or another. But family, in case you forgot, you're born with that. That's who you get. That's who was chosen for you. You don't choose your siblings, but you do choose how you're going to participate and to relate with those people, with your family. Am I going to love them and know them? Am I going to choose gentleness and compassion towards them? Am I going to keep up with them even when it's hard? Am I going to fight through awkwardness to stay close to them? Or I could be that distant brother who only shows up for the holidays and is always the first to leave. 
I've got a few family like that. Or the awkward, overbearing uncle who always brings up controversial topics and holds the whole room hostage with another lecture. Anyone experienced that this Thanksgiving? Just be honest. Oh, you did. Okay. <laughs> this is reality. Like the needy son, some of you can relate, who calls only when he needs something, but is strangely absent when he finds, when he's fine, or the absent cousin who keeps the family name, but disassociates apart from that. Now, I, I explain it all like that to, of course, bring perspective. That is intense, but there is truth to it. You are stuck with your family, but you choose how to best participate with them. And it's no different in our local church context. The community of faith flourishes when we view each other with expectancy, wondering what God will do today in this one and in that one and in that one. An expectation for the people around us that God is moving in their life and that you're going to do your best and I'm going to do my best to help them achieve what is on their life. All of us have that responsibility. It should be impossible to grow in the family of God if these things don't exist. I want to call us towards a few shifts in the way that we commonly relate to one another. First is this one I thought was so fascinating. Moving from ideal to actual. What do I mean by that? Well, the greatest enemy to real community is ideal community. Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community. Even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. That one's not up on the screen. That's Diedrich Bonhoeffer who said that. Until we can love one another as we actually are, messy and incomplete, we cannot grow into who God is inviting us to become. That is so important. The next thing is moving from inspiration to perseverance. Good endings require commitment and perseverance. All through the New Testament, we see this, these two words together, bear with, bear with, bear with. These are the apostles writing to these churches, telling them to bear with one another. Hold fast, hold on, don't give up on each other. What if God's greatest gift to you in this community is the person that you find most difficult at CLA? Hello. Hopefully it's not me. We probably wouldn't be here. What if that person or that family or that couple is actually the great, potentially could be the greatest gift to your life? What I'm trying to be upfront about and honest with you is that community is hard but it's worth it. And it requires forgiveness. And it requires that stubborn sense of resilience and good old-fashioned grit and commitment. I'm feeling, I'm feeling that in my spirit these days. Just a, a, a grit, a commitment to fight through and contend for the things that I believe matter. Not just for my life, but for my wife 
and for my children and for their friends and those families, an extended family, my faith community here at CLA and beyond. These are the things that the Lord is desiring, perseverance. And lastly, moving from distance to a closeness. Truth is, without, within community, distance makes the heart grow harder. Empathy erodes when I can't look you in the eye and vice versa. I make decisions about you that become fact in my mind. And you can't humanize those by actually being in the same place, present with me and relating to me. When my distant impressions of you cannot be upended by personal interaction, what happens is hardness of heart becomes reality. And that gentleness of spirit has to be worked on when we're not together. We've all been there. We've been so angry at somebody. And we build this story and we just we talk to our closest, you know, our confidants about them. Just for accountability purposes, of course. And it goes on and on and on. Weeks go by, months go by, and you just, you just build this story. And then all of a sudden, you, you, you see this person, and not just like at the mall, but like in a place where you actually have to talk to them. And through that conversation, everything changes. It's like, oh my goodness, I've been holding on to this for how long? And I just needed to look them in the eye. And we miss that, church, when we're not together, when, there's, when we choose distance over a closeness of connection. Have you ever noticed how much easier it is to write someone off when you don't have a ton of interaction with them or face-to-face? -face? That's it. How quickly our heart grows soft in those conversations, as I said. Church, do I have permission to speak pastorally this morning? Oh, I already have, but I'll keep going. Is that okay? On behalf of our family, as a community who are, we are navigating this pandemic just like everybody else, and there is real danger of relating to one another through pride rather than through empathy. I talked about this last week, but I need to double down on it. Pride expressed in a community sees the wrongs in others without identifying their weaknesses. That's what often happens. Empathy identifies with one another's strengths and weaknesses with, their all, with the whole person. Only love gets close enough to know what's really going on in each other's lives. And we have, we have to go after this. Hebrews, very passive-aggressive. And let us consider how we spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up, meeting together, as some of you are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. That is a word for today. We, we cannot miss the simplicity of this invitation. How do we get the world's attention? How do we make disciples? How do we form a counterculture and reap a spiritual harvest, as the Bible talks about? We have got to keep 
getting together. And I'm not talking about on a Sunday morning, but I'm talking about life. Doing life together. How do we deposit courage into one another? Survive hardships. Embrace joy. Raise healthy children. Conquer loneliness. we got to keep getting together. How do we live missionally? Serving the poor. Overturning tables of injustice. And welcoming the lost into the family. And to see the kingdom of God here in Calgary as it is in heaven. How do we do that? We have to keep getting together. Keep getting together. This is the key ingredient that binds everything. Only love gets close enough to know, so we have to keep getting together. I love this quote by Richard Halverson. He says, Christianity began in Galilee as a fellowship of men and women centered on Jesus. It went to Greece and became a philosophy. Then it went to Rome and became an institution. And then it went to Europe and became a culture. And then it came to America and became an enterprise. Ouch. We need to get back to our roots. Ouch. This will be more fruitful, more powerful, more compelling, and more is at stake. But... I'm committed. I'm committed to you and to our future here at the church. There's just five quick things up on the screen that I want us to consider. Focusing on practicing the way of Jesus that I, of course, shared a little bit this morning. We'll continue to unpack that. Being together here in Calgary, focusing on life, and community groups, and meeting at the table, and breaking bread together, gathering on, on Sundays like we do, although it might look a little bit different than this form we're all accustomed to moving forward, the gathering of the complete entire family is so, so important, and for all of you watching online as well, you are just as much a part as those in the room. That fourth thing of serving, as a church coming through COVID, like all churches, guess what, everyone? We need help. We need volunteers. We need people to step up and to help move this vision forward in youth ministry, in children's ministry, in worship, in arts. Would your giftings that the Lord has given you come alive again for some of you that have maybe put them to the side? And for good reason. There may be rest that was needed for your life, a reset of, of just the busyness of commitment. But I'm calling you back to allow the, the fulfillment that comes from doing what you're good at and what God's put in you and what brings fulfillment. That, that is... And, is so important for our future here at the church where all of us are playing a part in some way. The last one that's on the screen there is this idea of giving or generosity. This is, this is one of the sticky, stickiest of the commitments to talk about as your pastor. And argue or not, we read all through Scripture, there is 
something so proven time and time again that a generous man or woman will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. The Bible is very clear on that. And whatever your theology is on the tithe or the first fruits, 10%, that's not what I'm here to argue today. Maybe that is already your watermark where you have and are convinced that that's the case. What if in this season the Lord's calling you to greater generosity? Maybe some of you here beginning just with 1% of your income towards challenging yourself sacrificially and financially is what the Lord is asking of you. I believe generosity in the body will help birth the miracle of vision for this house and beyond. And I don't just say this without conviction. Church, Devin and I live this ourselves. I will never call you or invite you into something that I'm not living personally. And maybe, just maybe, it's time for some to dig deep and to start giving of your time, of your energy, of your finance, and allowing the breakthroughs that the Lord is so beautifully and graciously nudging you towards. And I have to say this because I feel so, so heavy on my heart. This, this year, 2021, Devin and I have, have never been so generous financially ever in my 40 years of life. And the fruit of this generosity on all, all levels, we have never received so much as a family in our whole life. And I know that that's not, it's not about that. But there has been this, this pr promise that we th see through Scripture that a generous person will prosper. And I know some of you are deep into debt and to struggle financially, struggling with career and all of those things. And maybe just maybe on the other side of some obedience and some sacrifice, more than you think you can possibly do in the natural, on the other side of that is the miracle, the breakthrough that God is so desiring for you. And I'm not going to get more into that, but Hear my heart. I would never challenge you towards something that I am not convicted of or living myself. We all need to have grace and make room for one another and where we're at. If that is you, just pick one of those five things. Pick one to engage in that you're currently disengaged in and commit to it this fall. If you want to know which one, well... I shared a little bit, but more than that, I want you to commit to this idea of community because I ache for the havoc on our souls from the, that relational isolation that we're all feeling. We need to get into community around a table in small groups of people who we can trust and follow Jesus with. A few. Did you hear me? I know that there's protocol right now 
and it's challenging, and I get that, and we've had to pause a lot of things to honor the leaders of our country and of our province and our city. Again, I'm not here to argue that. But this too will pass, church. And they will, the, the door will open and the table, the feast around the dinner table will be there again. Would you start inviting each other over and make a way to take risk on one another? Some of those people will become your best friends a year from now. Others of them you maybe would have never invited to your house, but you didn't see it coming, and all of a sudden there's a commonality of, of care. And the greatest gift that God has for you is the person you have the biggest issue with in this church. Maybe, just maybe. Jesus certainly modeled that. Those you wouldn't have invited, if you stick with them, will become the ones that are most formative in your life. The disciples who marched to Jerusalem were sure that they were right on that edge of breakthrough. When they had heard all of those stories from the Old Testament, when they studied Moses and Elijah and King David, and now there was one better than all of those generals right there in front of them. And they were there in the front row with Jesus himself. And even at the Last Supper, Jesus was trying to prepare them for the cross. And they were busy arguing about who was going to be remembered as the greatest, even after, after this revival that was coming. And Jesus said, it will all happen, and it's going to be better than you ever dreamed, but it's going to come in a different way than you think it's coming. Here is the invitation. Love one another. By this, John says in chapter 13, you will know that you are my, my disciples if you love one another. What if, let me just close with this. What if the season we're in right now is the mountaintop? Listen. To simply, tangibly, sacrificially just love one another in this moment, 2021. What if we're dreaming about what the kingdom will be like when it comes, but Jesus says to us what he said to them, the kingdom is in your midst right now. What if we are standing on that mountaintop right now and we don't even realize it? What if we have been living on the mountaintop and it's simply to love each other right now in this moment? I got to share this poem with you before I close. Robert Segal, he wrote it. And it sums this up perfectly. He wrote a poem called Looking for Mount Mondanoc. The inspiration for this poem was him and his wife, he and his wife, lived near this mountain. Actually, it's a mountain that exists in the U.S. They would always see cars turning in by the sign. They lived next to it for decades, but they never actually went in. One day as they were driving by with there was no rush on their, their agenda that day. There's no rush to be anywhere. Robert said to his wife, why don't we go in and see this mountain for ourselves? And so they turn in, and I'll pick up the poem at this point, okay? 
we head down the side road and we see Mondanoc Realty, Mondanoc Pottery, Mondanoc Designs, but no Mondanoc itself. Then the sign falls away. Nothing but trees in the darkening afternoon. We don't speak, pass a clearing, and you say, think, I saw it, I think I saw it, or part of it, or a bald rock. Miles and miles more we go. Finally, I pull over, and we consult a map. Mondanoc's right there, or just back a bit there, but we should see it. We're practically on top of it. And driving back, we look, trees, a flashing, a clearing, purple rocks, but we are, it seems, too close to see it. It is right here. We are on it. It is under us. Powerful. We could not find the mountain because they were on the mountain. They were living on the summit all along, and they never knew it. Church, what if this is the mountaintop? What if there is no better, better future here on earth and no one day when we'll be the church of our imagination? What if this, you and me, and all of our weaknesses and strengths and all the good and the bad, the blind spots and the failures, what if love in the midst of this is the kingdom coming? What if we have been standing on the mountaintop all along but we've just been too close to it to see it. Wow. Choosing kindness when sarcasm is on the tip of our tongue. Befriending the lonely one when sticking with the group would be so much easier. Forgiving the one who is wrong, even though maybe they don't see their flaws. It's calling someone a saint instead of mocking them. It's maintaining a holy imagination and care and concern for our brothers and sisters when judgment is coming so naturally. It's to keep getting together. This is the mountain. It is right here. It's, it's here. It's on us. It's underneath us, church. And this is the call that God has for our community today. Let's stand. Where's my new friend on guitar? <laughs> Do you want to come up? I don't even know your name. Can we just welcome this man to CLA? What's your name? Danny. Thanks for being here today, Danny. Very grateful. If you don't mind just playing on the guitar, that would be awesome. A moment to just to contemplate before we close, just one minute. Let's just close our eyes. I just encourage you to get into that posture of receiving today. There's a call. I believe there's a call, not just for our church, but for the church um, to live in the here and the now. To, to recognize that what's in front of us today does not need to limit us, does not need to discourage us, does not need to overwhelm us. 
because we're actually living in the moment for such a time of, as this to bring Jesus to this world. And Father, I pray this morning for all that are here, all those that are listening online and will be tuning in later today or this week. Would all of us feel your presence and that, that push, that still small voice, that nudge towards taking on this season with a new posture, with a new grace, with a new approach. No, we don't downplay the challenges because they're real, Lord. And for those who are suffering and struggling with anxiety and depression, and where their mental health is at a, at a for, forefront where they could go this way or that way. Lord, I pray for healing over minds right now in Jesus' name. I pray for your, your powerful, healing, miracle, working nature to come and to overwhelm each and every one. Would we find, even through our weaknesses, a strength to be the hands and feet of Jesus every day? Lord, would we recognize the power and the beauty of togetherness? Pull us towards each other, not away from one another. Lord, I speak courage on each one across this room. Courage, courage to step up, courage to lead, courage to be an example, courage to make sacrifice. Because on the other side of that, I believe there are the miracles that are waiting. Lord, it is, it's okay not to be okay, but in the midst of that, would we not isolate or move away from each other, but would we move towards help and care, concern for one another? That is my prayer this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. God bless you, church. Thank you for your time and a few extra minutes today. We love you. We'll be up here at the front if you need to have some conversation. Grandparents, sign up for this amazing summit. It's gonna be fantastic. I'll share more about it this week in the email. God bless you. Have a great afternoon.